Welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, and this episode is all about The Expanse. First up, we have a chat with Cass Anvar, who you know from the show as Alex Kamal, the pilot of the Rossi. I talked to Cass not only about The Expanse, but also his acting career, including his role as the voice of Al Tayir in Assassin's Creed Revelations. Following that, my friend Katie and I will hop into the spoiler room to recap everything in Season 3 that we've seen so far. So let's get right to it. Here's my interview with The Expanse's Cass Anvar. I do want to talk about The Expanse for sure, but there are some other things I definitely want to touch on as well, because you've been in the industry for over 25 years now with very consistent work. I've been working. I've been working. Let's not let's not date the poor man, but yeah, I've been working. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I was really curious about is when you finish a project, what, what are the feelings that kind of wash over you as an actor? Do you start reflecting on that project right away? Do you have like the heartfelt goodbyes or do you immediately start going, where's the next role coming from? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it really depends on uh, it really depends on the project. Um, I'm an I'm an old theater guy, so I'm from uh, a background and a, a training that we will work our our asses off for weeks and weeks and months and months and months on a show and get completely invested in it, blood, sweat, and tears, and then run it for a few weeks and then finish and then never see it again. Um, and the whole process takes you know two to four months. And then we have a big rap party and we emotionally kind of like purge ourselves because we all got so close and it was like a big emotional roller coaster. And um, that's where I'm from. And so I do get emotionally attached to the projects I'm on. Uh, it really depends. There are some projects in which I, you know, I did not have huge contributions in there. And so I was just in and out in a few days. Sure. Uh, and then there's other shows like The Expanse or The Strain or Neverland or some other shows that I've done in the, in the, in the past where I became very attached to the people uh, and very attached to the project and saying goodbye was very difficult. Mm. Uh, the Expanse is probably, for obvious reasons, the most difficult uh, for me. I'm very attached to the entire team. It's really a family. And uh, I'm completely in love with the material and my character. Yeah, uh, It's probably the most fun I've ever had playing anything on screen. So uh, when uh, when the show was uh, canceled for that few brief moments, uh, that was a very, very emotional time for me and the entire team. Now, we see these campaigns happen like every other week now because everyone with the power of social media, everyone's like, all right, we got to rally together and get this happening. But it actually worked this time. It actually worked, man. So what is what is that when when you get the news is it immediately calling everyone else on the cast and being like, oh, my God, it's it's happening. It's happening. Oh, uh, phew, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you seen the video that, that took place at the event where Jeff Bezos made his announcement? I did see that. So, yeah, that, I mean, it was a magical night. And uh, when, when luckily, most of the key people were at the event with me, uh, so I didn't have to tell them they got to witness it firsthand with me. And that was really actually wonderful because uh 
sharing that with some of my co-stars was um, incredibly rewarding. But then uh, that that news literally was on the internet and released to the trade papers in less than 10 minutes after it happened. Oh, wow. There were people in the audience videotaping and Skyping and everything they could do and tweeting it out there. So that, that just got blasted out um, within minutes. And, uh, and I sent one group text to everyone on my WhatsApp that was part of the show. And, um, and then my phone started blowing up. So everyone knew within a few minutes and it was, it was absolutely euphoric. Yeah, it really was. It, it was a Cinderella story. It, it was something you would see in a movie. It, it just couldn't have been written better. How much do you know uh, about what's going to be happening moving forward? Like, are there any big changes because you're moving to Amazon? Um, it's still really uh, new territory. Um, I've already asked. I said, "Is there any differences between um, our old home and our new home?" And the writers' room says, "No, nah, yeah, we don't know. Like, there was no real, um, no real impact noticeably." So, I, I, what I know, like just just from being um, an Amazon Prime fan, yeah. I know that we're going to have a little bit more freedom, and I know that we're going to have less restrictions on the content and on time, like. Uh, when you're working on a cable station that is um, designed for commercials, you're really, really bound by that act structure, cliffhangers right before commercials, 47 minutes, whatever the exact timing is. And you sometimes have to cut really nice material just to fit within your framework because your show ran a little bit long. Mm. And once you're streaming, your show can be 50 minutes. Your show can be 60 minutes. Your show can be 45 minutes, depending on what the story demands. Uh, there's much less restrictions on you. So, um, and you know, I'm sure Ava Sarala, I think Shore is probably going to be, uh, ecstatic once, um, they kind of take the muzzle off Ava Sarala and she becomes a little bit more <laughs> the character that, uh, was written in the books, the, the, the truck driver that she is. I imagine that's got to be creatively exciting knowing that you'll be able yeah. to like, get into some new areas, but, but let's, but let's be fair. We have to be fair to sci-fi because sci-fi took a massive, massive project mm -hmm. and put out three excellent seasons. Uh, this is a huge undertaking. This is a massive book. Game of Thrones in space is what they call it. And it's huge. Like we blew up five ships in the first six episodes of season <laughs> one. It was a massive undertaking financially and artistically and uh, transforming those books into t television huge challenge and we did it like sci-fi did it uh and i think they did it beautifully um you know yeah maybe we couldn't swear as much as we wanted maybe there was a little bit of restriction here and there on time or language or things weren't quite as rough and tumble or gritty as they could have been but all in all it was extremely faithful mm -hmm. to the books and very professional very beautiful very authentic and very much honoring the, the spirit of the novels. So like, I don't want to, I think we need to be fair to sci-fi because I think they did a great job. Uh, and season three, let's not forget that was under sci-fi's watch and season three is kicking right now. Right. Right. Also, I wanted to touch on your voice work, uh, because I am a big fan of that early arc of Assassin's Creed that starts with Altair in the first and goes through, uh, revelations and the whole Ezio thing. That's and right. Are, are you a gamer yourself? Yeah, I am. Huge gamer. Uh, what are the games that you kind of get into? Uh, I am an RPG player all the way. I am, uh, I mean, big surprise. I'm an actor who likes to tell stories. So I love <laughs> stories. I love anything 
favorite game, Last of Us. Dying for Last of Us 2. Oh, yeah. Really pissed off I couldn't get to E3 because I was shooting a film in Europe. Because uh, I wanted to see if they had Last of Us 2 at E3. I don't know if you know or not, but I wish I could have been there. Um, you know, Skyrim's my, my jam. Uh, Mass Effect, uh, Fallout 4. Uh, any of those awesome. Oh, one of the other. What's that one? Dishonored. The Dishonored. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Game. I got it for free on PS3 because uh, I was part of that, you know, PS3 club. And I was like, oh, free game. It'll be fun. And man, it was good. <laughs> the Dishonored. Loved it. So when you took on the role of Altier for Revelations, did you, you were already familiar with the franchise? Um, I wasn't super familiar. I, I was familiar with Prince of Persia, which kind of came first. Okay. And uh, I had heard about Assassin's Creed, but I hadn't played it yet. So I kind of felt bad about that. But as soon as I got the audition... Uh, for the role, I went and researched it, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is an amazing game! What an mm. incredible mythology!" And now I'm, I'm hardcore, hardcore Assassin's Creed fan. So when you uh, when you're creating those kind of voices for those characters, and especially tackling pre-existing fandoms, uh, where does the inspiration mm. for that voice come from? From you, do you look to other similarities or? I mean, I'm a huge gamer, so I kind of have an idea. I kind of have an instinct on. Um, what kind of voices work well? It's got it's a little bit different than doing a regular kind of acting job because you're you're creating a voice that is going to be in someone's head not for two hours but possibly for hundreds of hours. Right. So you can't do um, the exact same kind of acting and performance and voice quality that you would do if you were doing just a two hour performance of a of a film. Um, <clears throat> you also have to understand that some of the lines that you say are going to be repeated over and over and over and over <laughs> again. So you have to come to it with a, it, it, you've got to have a uniqueness to your voice, but you also have to kind of have a bit of a neutrality to you that you are not going to become annoying to listen to. And then they're going to go into the settings and, and hit mute on the, on the dialogue and mm. just read you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess, you know, I just, I, it's hard to really explain. I follow my instincts on that and I just try to make the character interesting, compelling, but not, not potentially annoying when, uh, when he's being listened to over and over and over again. That's interesting. I like, I wouldn't think about the annoyingness level of a character that I was creating at the moment, probably, but. Oh man, how many, how many times have you played a game where you're playing a character that you, and you keep dying or something, and then they say the exact same thing yeah. over and over again, and eventually <laughs> you, you just throw your controller at the screen and go, shut up. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, I don't want to be that character that gets the controller thrown at me. Also, going back to The Expanse, I, I heard there was a bit of a gamble uh, when you first auditioned for the role of Alex. Yeah, oh, you heard that, did you? I did, yeah. That was a big gamble, actually. That was scary. And actually, it was a lot less scary because I had absolutely no clue what the show was going to be. Mm -hmm. So the, the scary part about it was that I loved the character. Like they, they, they pitched me a character. They gave me a couple of pages of scenes and the character's description is Alex is a Mars born fighter pilot of uh, Pakistani Indian descent with a Texas accent. Mm. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sign me up. That is like, so my jam. Let me, let me at that. So I fell in love with the character based on that description. And then I read the scene and I'm like, wow, this is really well written. It's compelling. It's not kitschy. It's not derivative. It's really emotional and it's sharp and it's, it's just, it's really sharp, but I didn't get to read the script. So I was just in love with the character. And then I read the pilot script and then I heard that they loved my audition, which I put on tape and they wanted me to go in for a callback in LA. 
And I hate auditions. I, I really do. Like some people love them. I hate them mm. uh, because it's such an unnatural environment. It's like you get to go in, you have 10 pages of dialogue to present. You've got four minutes to do it. You've got people looking at you all over the place. You've got network execs and you've got directors and producers and casting and they're all around you. You're in a fluorescently lit room. There's a camera off to the corner and uh, you don't know who you're playing to. Are you playing to the camera? You're playing to these people. And it's like, it's such an unnatural environment and it's so easy to get thrown off and you never have to do 10 pages of dialogue in four minutes. Mm -hmm. That never happens in the real world. You get to do four pages in 12 hours. That's how you shoot. And you never have to do all of those scenes one after the other. It's just, it's just, it's a formula that works against the actor to make him fail. Mm. And some actors love it. Some actors thrive on that pressure, but some of us don't. Some of us love to work and, 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 uh, craft our performances and work with the directors and we don't always get that chance so when i get to do a self-tape that's my jam i love doing that and um i did a really good one i felt awesome about it and then they wanted me for a callback and they wanted me to go in and i said to my manager i said i killed that self-tape i i I did the best i could possibly do the only thing i'm going to do if i go in there for a callback is worse I'm only going to do worse. I can't do better than I did on that self-tape because I, I took like half an hour and put it together and I did it exactly the way I wanted and I got the accent right and everything. I said, all I'm going to do is undermine myself. And he's like, yeah, but they want to see you. I said, well, because uh, I had been working in Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, working on the Olympus, uh, this, this series called Olympus. And I said, just tell him I'm doing Olympus and I can't do it. And he goes, are you sure? I said, I have a feeling. <laughs> I said, I can't do better than that tape. And that tape, I want that to speak for me. And uh, he goes, okay, man, uh, we'll see what happens. And then there was radio silence for like two weeks. And I was like, oh, man, what have I done? What have I done? And then after two weeks, finally he calls me up. He goes, they gave you an offer. They want you. And I was like, oh, thank God. But, you know, I rolled the dice on that one. Yeah, yeah. And um, then when I got to set and I started talking to the creators and the creators were like, we were so scared we were going to lose you because when we saw your audition, you were Alex, you were the one we had seen all these other guys and you were the one we wanted. And we were so afraid because you were shooting other stuff that we we're going to lose you. And I'm like, damn, I wish I'd known that. That would have been a much better experience. <laughs> well, that's so. man took the gamble and won. doesn't happen all the time, but no, it doesn't. And a friend of mine does the same thing. And, and I've lost, uh, I've lost on those gambles too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a William H. Macy film that I didn't want to do a callback on. And, and they said, well, we're going to give it to someone else. So hmm. you really got to know what you're doing and you got to be ready to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. When you know the role is yours, do you then dive into the books to like immerse yourself in that world? Or is it just taking each script? Me personally? Yeah, I do. Um, I'm, I'm up to book four or five right now uh, because we're about to enter into those books. Um, in season four, we're going to start book four. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of the actors don't. A lot of the actors find it confusing and because the, the books are so they're modified and they, they start bringing material from other books and they, they get confused by what's actually going on in the series is slightly different than the books and they don't want to deal with that. They like to deal with everything fresh. Whereas me, I love to get everything that's in the books and just process it and digest it and absorb it and bring little tidbits from the books um, that may have been omitted in the screenplay and bring those to life. 
Well, this went by super fast. I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you have a super busy day ahead of you. That's cool. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got about another minute with you. All right, cool. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say to the fans that uh, were out there kind of busting up social media with you? And- oh, my God. <laughs> I want to say thank you. This season four and hopefully season five and beyond is because of you. There is no question. There is no doubt. This show was buried. It had no pulse. And the fans brought it back to life, uh, revived it. It is because of the fans that The Expanse is back. You guys just started busting out. You guys broke, broke the internet and you made the show come back. And this is to tell you guys, you can move mountains. You, you cracked the glacier. You broke open uh, a pass through this, this obstacle. And now we are going to get to finish the story it, the way it was meant to be told rather than leaving people hanging in a, a, some sort of a truncated firefly type of an environment where we never get to actually reach fulfillment in terms of the storytelling. So thank you. We love you and thank you. Uh, aside from reminding people that they should be watching the series finale, a uh, series, not series finale, season finale. Thank God it's not season a series finale, finale thank God. Uh, for season three this upcoming Wednesday. Is there anything else we can plug for you, social media or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to be starting this year on season four. Uh, I'm in Toronto right now and we're going to be starting shooting here. Um, I'm currently shooting a film in Europe. Really exciting uh thriller with Diane Kruger and Martin Freeman, which I'm very excited about. And I've got another feature uh, created by um, um, Vina Sood, who is the creator of Seven Seconds on Netflix and one of the directors uh, or writers from um, The Killings. And uh, this this new feature film, I think its working title is Between Earth and Sky, stars Peter Sarsgaard, uh, and I co-star with him. And uh, it's an exceptionally exciting thriller with some really deep messages and dark realistic undertones that I think people will like. It has a very, very similar vibe to crash. It feels Mm. it's got that same kind of gritty urban kind of vibration that, that, that deals with a lot of racial issues as well as being incredibly exciting and compelling as a thriller. Sounds amazing to me. Yep. So keep it, keep your eye open uh, in uh, 2019, I guess, for, for those two films. Great. Well, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure, man. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week at the finale. Yes. And hopefully I'll see you at Comic-Con because I'll be there next month as well. Oh, yeah. We will. We will be there. Excellent. Thank you so much, Cass. My pleasure, brother. Take care. In just a moment, in preparation for the two-part season finale... We're going to be stepping into the spoiler room to recap and discuss everything that's aired so far in Season 3 of The Expanse. Since we're going to be spoiling everything, this is your final warning. Here we go. Access granted. Welcome. So season three of The Expanse, uh, we're in we're in slightly different places because I watched the entire series in like the last week, not just the season, but everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have been watching real time for the most part, right? No, I binged season one and two. Okay. Uh, I found it on Prime and I was like, oh, I want a sci-fi show. So then I watched one episode and then I couldn't stop. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so I think I spaced them out a little bit more than just, say, like, binging them on a weekend. But I finished those two seasons pretty quick, and then when season three came out, I was like, well, I'm watching this in real time. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not waiting for a season, like, the full season to be out to binge it. I needed to have it. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's definitely picked up since... So we, we had talked a little bit beforehand uh, it took me a little bit into season one to really sink my teeth into it because mm-hmm. there is a, v- a very rich world here. It is challenging to kind of grasp everything that's going on because it's so dense. But once you do kind of get a hold of everything and you're following the world and you get the characters, it's much, much better. Yeah, I was really confused <laughs> when I first jumped into it because I was like, there's three different factions and there's all these people Mm -hmm. and i think over time i just loved how everything looked in Mm. the in the show and i liked the idea of things and i stuck with it and then like i think i've told you at the end of season one it all makes sense Mm -hmm. and i think there's a i don't know there's a variety of characters and it's not just like one thing they're focused on it's a whole lot of things and then you got to figure out what governments are doing and what characters mean to this and that. So yeah, I agree. It's it's it takes a little bit, but I think it's really worth it. Yeah. I actually I got a little disappointed when the not when the proto molecule was introduced, but when I found out that it had something to do with extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I actually enjoyed about it that I thought separated it from other sci fi shows was the fact that it was really just about like the expansion of our race. Yeah. Onto Mars and then the belt resulting from that and it was really kind of all interhumanity. Well, it was like at first I think they introduced it as like this big weapon mm-hmm. and it kind of seemed like it wasn't extraterrestrial and then then it was very clear that it was by yeah, the end of the yeah. first season. I just I wonder where like where did Jules Pierre like even come across it though? Well, like apparently how... the proto molecule was in Phoebe. Oh, that's right. When Phoebe was either destroyed or excavated or something like that, they found the protomolecule almost like dormant inside there, and it had been there for a while. Mm-hmm. I forgot that part, but I, I think, I think it makes sense now in season two and three with where they're going mm-hmm. with the trajectory Absolutely. of the show. Absolutely, yeah, it's necessary. That it, it makes sense now. It's like everybody has to unify against this one threat mm-hmm. versus it being a threat from one of those things already. Yeah. We've watched them inner fight so much that they're now finally starting to unify in season three, but it took them this long to get there. Yeah. It will. <laughs> they are all trying to blow each other up. And then this thing, <laughs> I mean, I, well, okay. Can we talk about like the ring? We can talk about everything. Okay. So like when the ring came out, I think it kind of like scared everybody. Yeah. And instead of being like, oh, instead of blowing each other up, why don't we like figure out what this thing is yeah. so that it doesn't kill us all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if we jump in and kind of go episode by episode uh, and kind of tear through the plot, we can give our thoughts as we do so. So in episode one, it starts out with a declaration of war, which scared mm-hmm. me right away, not because they were going to war, but because I'm always like, ugh, war. Like, really, that's it's such a boring <laughs> Ew, concept to me. Like, I don't love I don't love war stuff because it yeah. usually just means large scale space battles. And that's not super interesting. Yeah. But as long as they're coming at it from like a more character based thing like they did, it makes mm-hmm. it a lot better. Like we're really following the Rossi more than anything else. 
And I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Like, that's what I wanted to focus on. Same. But it, it's interesting when they do introduce... I don't know. There's a lot of conflict. Like, the show just has a lot of conflict. Mm-hmm. But it's been interesting with season three, seeing how they all unify, um, especially now coming towards the end of the season, to kind of put aside things, even... I don't know what the right way to say this is, but, like, they put things aside to support each other like with the behemoth mm-hmm. at with the ring they're we're all in the ring and they all need this life support mm-hmm. and one g to help heal and they all welcome on, them on board and i just think it's it's been really cool to watch because like you said sometimes the war stuff can be a little drawn out but i think what they did with it was really cool yeah yeah it took them on the full journey like they had to really divide them in order to really unify them later on yeah they, I don't know. The stakes are high, I think. And it's really interesting because I don't know how they're going to end out this season at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. And it, I'm excited for it, but I'm also kind of nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Uh, Naomi reveals she's given the proto-molecule to Fred Johnson. So now we even have some division in the Rossi mm-hmm. because Naomi was supposed to destroy their sample. And this mm-hmm. is where the, the trust is broken between her and Holden and the rest of the crew. I think that... I remember watching that season and being like, no, don't do that. Because I thought it was like they had such a good thing going, like the dynamics on the ship. Mm-hmm. And then um, when she, you know, made it seem like she had destroyed it, but she didn't. And then I think when they look back in retrospect, they understand now mm-hmm. why she did it. But it did even the playing field. So now the UN, Mars, and the Belters all have this yeah. so they can... I mean, it, it's it's dangerous no matter what sh- who has it, mm-hmm. but now it kind of even the playing field for everybody. True. Uh, so we see remnants of the proto-molecule are shown in the cargo bay of the Rossi as well. And this mm-hmm. was one of the things that I got a little worried about. So we had the, uh, the – I was calling them Calibans until they started calling them hybrids mm-hmm. on the show because it was called Project Caliban. <laughs> so, uh, and several times in my notes, because I was writing them in real time, <laughs> reference Caliban's, and then I was just switched to hybrids at yeah. a certain point. Uh, so there was a hybrid on the Rossi at the end of season two. And mm-hmm. then after they got rid of it, they showed the proto molecule in that just like little space in the cargo bay. Yeah. And then it felt like they forgot about it. And I was worried. Yeah. Well, I think that's where. When Miller comes back, uh, yeah. I think that because I too was like, well, like there's proto molecule in the ship, yep. and I was like, they totally just forgot about it. But like one of the things I love about this show is that they always they'll tease something and then they come back to it. And when Miller was in Holden's room, I was like, well, I was really excited first of all because I was really glad they brought his character Same. back. Yeah, but I also. Was like that. That explains why they showed that, like several episodes prior. Mm-hmm. And it just—I don't know. I love that when the little moments click when you're watching something because it's so satisfying. Mm. I was curious why that little bit didn't spread though. That you know that because mm, it's right by the. I think it's right by the engine, isn't it? Yeah, it's not far from. Like that's the path the hybrid was taking to get to the reactor. Hmm. So. That might be something I can't answer, (laughs) but it is something interesting. Like, I wonder why it just maybe it had developed to what it needed to be. It was communicating with the ring. And so 
the purpose it served was for that moment when they needed or when when they when the proto molecule needed to contact Holden. Yeah. I mean ultimately we don't know what the proto molecule does. They don't know what the proto molecule does. Like it just mm-hmm. is what it needs to be at any given time. It's always inter- like in the show when the proto molecule is analyzing anything mm-hmm. and it breaks it apart into all the pieces. I just I still don't fully understand the proto molecule. Like, why is it a ring? And why, right. you know, like, where are the ships now, now that they're inside the ring? I don't think and, we're supposed to understand. And I just, I think it's more that I think the fact that things are left for our imagination a little bit sometimes makes the show more exciting. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that we don't know why the proto molecule didn't expand and grow and try to get to the reactor yeah but that maybe it's adapting and becoming smarter and it's like okay now i can communicate with holden and that was what its plan was the whole time which is yeah it's it's crazy but i i do i like a lot of shows they'll show you the origins of something and Mm -hmm. leave the rest of the characters unbeknownst even though we know yeah. But I like the fact that, like, nobody knows. Like, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the characters don't know. So we're all learning about it together at the same time. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason I like the show is because it's not all explained. Mm-hmm. It's not all just laid out for you. Right. It's just we're all figuring it out together. And then there's, like, the shock and awe, which I just, I'm down for. <laughs> and there's quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it. <laughs> we get the Aaron Wright double cross in this episode oh. when he just totally screws over Christian. You know, <laughs> Aaron Wright is kind of one of those characters that you love to hate. Mm-hmm. He's slime. And he, oh, he, he is slime. And like, there was something where like, you always think there's like a moment with him where you're like, oh, he's actually, you know, he's turning. He's going to be mm-hmm. a good guy. And then when he does that to Christian, it's just like, oh, nope, this is he's he never changed. This is who he is. Yeah, he was still playing the game the whole time. Mm-hmm. So slimy. <laughs> and then the Rossi crew decide to head to Io instead of Tycho to help Prax find his daughter. They're like, nope, we I made know. a promise. And this mm-hmm. is what we're doing. I don't know Naomi was not happy about it. Nope. But I'm happy they did because pra- like Prax getting May back was such a priority. Mm-hmm. And it just made me happy because they're like, in in a sense, they were using Prax before for his, for information. And then it was like, no, you helped us. We're going to help you. And... I think overall it was a good move because in the end they did get May back. Mm-hmm. And Prax was a wonderful character and I loved the dynamic with him and Amos. And I loved watching Prax put the garden on the ship. Yes, yeah. That was one of my favorite parts of the show was just seeing them kind of set up and like Amos helping set up mm-hmm. like this oxygen system on the ship. That was one of my favorite parts of the show or this season prax really became a part of the family and even Mm kind of left a mark when he was gone because uh they refer to those as prax panels yeah from now on and there's the part where amos is like he was my very best friend in the whole world i know and i was like oh my god i they're the best they're the best i know jumping forward in the, the season a mm-hmm. little bit but when prax said that to may i was like oh like i i don't know it may it was just such an actually heartwarming moment mm-hmm. 
that I didn't expect. But I don't know. I think part of it this season that I really enjoyed is seeing Amos's growth. And I think Prax was instrumental in that. Yeah. Episode six is when they actually find May. Mm -hmm. And Prax starts it off by saying, going to May and saying, this is my very best friend in the whole world. You'll be safe with him. When she takes his hand and they just say, hi, and hey, Amos Mm -hmm. is the look on his face. It wasn't like a look of fear. It was a look of like, wait, I I get you. Yeah. Like I can I can work on your level because you're a child and I'm kind of stunted. <laughs> <laughs> I it was interesting. Was it it was it season one? It might have been season two when they find the scientists mm-hmm. and they remove the like emotion. And he was asking that scientist, can you get it back? Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, please don't get the procedure. Cause I was so convinced that he was going, Amos was going to get That's that procedure. That's what I thought too. Yeah. And then as I continued watching season two and into season three, I'm like, oh, he's trying to figure out how to turn that kind of emotion back on in himself. Mm-hmm. And I think Praxis start was part of starting to open that up. Yeah. And. Yeah, the whole best friend thing that he even does a callback to later in season yes. three yeah. was just, I don't know, it just, it makes my heart like yes. filled with happiness. It was my I favorite moment in the entire third season. Yeah, I, I think that, I don't know, that was probably one of my favorite dynamics in season three so far mm-hmm. is just Prax and Amos and what they were to each other. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So when they, when they did meet that scientist and... I, too, was scared that Amos was going to get the procedure. At first, I thought he did because he immediately gets colder for, mm-hmm. like, the next few episodes. Same. And he, I thought so, too. He does start lashing out, not with emotion, just like, oh, why can't I do that? Like, yeah, I'm going to kill this guy. Why not? Mm-hmm. That's Why would I not do that? And It was he, almost like he was more robot, like yes, robotic. Yes. And I don't know if they were purposely misleading us or mm-hmm. if he was just... He said later on that he was like, oh, I've been trying to make my own decisions instead of relying on Naomi yeah. to make them for me. Because she was his conscience for so long. Mm-hmm. But it did it did feel like a purposeful misdirect. But then they never really addressed it. He just kind of came back on his own. Yeah. I think maybe in some ways it's him acknowledging that he has something he needs to work on. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if it's as me as a person, if I'm like, oh, damn, there's something about myself I need to work on. I think I do take a little bit of time to throw a pity party for myself. Sure. And then you start to work on it or you're trying to figure out and maybe during that figure out time, you, you shut down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And in my head, I could see that being part of the process for him. But I think him asking, like, can you reverse it? I also thought that he had the procedure done after the fact because mm. those those episodes following were very much like, oh, no, did he do it? Yeah. And that was going to be like the big reveal eventually. But um, slowly over time. And that's why I think Prax was such an important character, because like I feel like that's when the change started to happen. Mm-hmm. And he almost has more of a, a conscience when dealing with like the documentary crew also. Yeah. Yeah. He was a little warmer. After yeah. after Prax had left, because mm-hmm. I think he learned that a lot from him. 
Yeah. Uh, in episode two, we get Bobby and Christian escaping from the yacht in a ship that when they send out a distress call, coincidentally, they're on the freaking <laughs> Razorback. I know. Julie Miles ship, which is such <laughs> such a callback thing that ties it all together <laughs> so well. But the it's- Rossi might not have picked him up for any other reason. Yeah. And it was the Razorback. I mean, I think it was coincidence almost. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's crazy because then when you see like those two storylines converge for the first time yeah. and then like Christian is so sick, like they really leave that episode kind of hanging. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting when you've watched essentially two separate storylines for an entire season. Yeah. And then to have the characters meet and finally interact with each other, there's something that was just so tense about it. <laughs> it's like, what's going to happen? Absolutely. We get the debut of Anna here, mm-hmm. uh, who ends up becoming a speechwriter for the Secretary General, who's played by Elizabeth Mitchell, who's in like every freaking sci-fi She's- show. I was like, she was on Lost too, yes. which I was like, that's when I, I mean, she is literally in every sci-fi show yeah. ever. She pops but up I love everywhere. Her. She she's did amazing. a great job. Yeah, she's yeah. amazing. And her, the role that she plays in this is so suited to her of mm-hmm. just like this warm, empathetic person, which is interesting, again, to kind of jump ahead forward. And we've been talking about Amos because he just is so fascinating. Um, she's like a polar opposite to Amos. We're yeah. like, she's nothing but empathy. Yeah. Well, the thing that's interesting is she's trying to be to force like the good into things mm-hmm. and be like, use your brain and challenges people to be like, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And she's just met with so much just resistance from like literally everybody. Yeah. Just trying to be the moral compass in an ugly world essentially when with the un and they bring he brings i can't remember the president's name uh the secretary general yeah the secretary general i just always call him that because it's easier (laughs) (laughs) when they when the secretary general brings her back in Mm -hmm. like he the whole purpose is just to like use her to win the public over yep they warp her speech yeah i the oh there, there was something so frustrating about um, that. I think this is a few episodes ahead mm-hmm. when she wrote this beautiful speech and then he just changed, changed it. And Aaron Wright the whole time was just like reveling in yeah. it. And I think Aaron Wright's the one who really orchestrated the the twisting of it. Mm-hmm. But the SG he like planted the it. seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Wright's so slimy. <laughs> he really is. Um, we get Christian and Bobby now on the Rossi, and then mm-hmm. uh, Cotillard, the right hand man of Avicerella, is picked yeah. up by the UNN ship Agatha King. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex had sent a message home to his wife and son, I which was another thing going on. <laughs> like teared up at that. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I just was so like I I just got lost in that scene. It was, he was sending his message back home because you don't mm-hmm. think about it. He's mentioned he has family back on Mars, yeah. But they're always in so much shit that yeah, <laughs> you don't There's think no about time. the fact <laughs> that he has a family there. But now he's dealing with the repercussions of that. Yeah, I think he just finally was coming to terms with, you know, the fact that in a sense he abandoned them, mm-hmm. but he's trying to serve a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. And maybe justify that in some way. But 
what I really liked about this season is that we're learning more about each of the core. Yes. Me- like members of the Rossi mm-hmm. of the crew and just I really enjoyed that even if it's only like glimpses in a couple scenes. Yeah. It's been really nice to see that. It was interesting in Alex's message where he was like, turns out, and wow, what a way to be honest with yourself and with <laughs> other people. He's like, it turns out I like doing this more than I yeah. wanted to be back with you two, with his family. That's it's It's a brutally honest, but I don't know. I think it's very integral to his character. It is. And explaining, because when he takes his wedding band off too, like just... It's been really interesting to see that whole dynamic Mm -hmm. and the introduction of, you know, the wife and his son. I I mean, it's a hard like it's a hard thing to navigate. And it's just something where he's decided he needs to do bigger things in the world Mm. and he can't be there for them. I just feel like that would be such a difficult thing to admit to yourself. Absolutely. And I wonder how often that's a factor in this world now that is so spread out. Like, yes, they're able to travel from one place to another, but we don't always get a sense of how long that takes. Mm -hmm. And if someone is going to be part of like a space organization, they're going to be out in space. What does leaving your family for that long mean? Sure, you can say it's like a military leave, but it might be even longer in these terms. Well, like you think about it because he was on the Canterbury. Mm -hmm. And was he on there to like already leave his family maybe or i mean he was that he was done his service in the martian mm-hmm. navy yeah because i guess that he said he served for 20 years and he was honorably discharged yeah and then he ended up on the canterbury and i don't know if that was just for money or yeah just because that's the life that he leaned towards yeah and i that was something i wondered too because when he was calling back home i was like well he's on the canterbury and like i was either like it's a job but why wouldn't there be something on Mars for him, too? Sure. That would keep him close to his wife and son. Yeah, so clearly there so, was a part of him that wanted it. I think, like, a greater purpose, almost. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really touching when he got the message from his son as well oh, later on. And being like, even though his wife was like, you know what, we don't really need you anymore. And that, and that yeah. hit him hard. When he got the mm-hmm. message from his son, who clearly had sneaking away from home <laughs> to, like, send yeah. this message to his dad, was like, you know what, Dad? I respect what you're doing. You're awesome. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll be here when you get back. Type thing. Yeah, that was. Great. I thought the the message from his wife. I was like, it was soul crushing. But like, that's the kind of realistic response mm-hmm. somebody would have to yeah. that. And then when he got the message from his son, I just thought that was. It's almost like a silver lining in it to maybe make him more. He can rest assured. Mm-hmm. Knowing that his son supports him and that maybe there is something that he's doing that's bigger. Yeah. And he has somebody who understands that, but he can still love him, Mm -hmm. but he can be away. And his son said outright, like, I'm going to be like you. Yeah. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a part of the Martian Navy or Army or whatever, and I'm going to be just Mm -hmm. like you. I really liked that they've put more things with personal stories. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's been interesting to delve deeper into the lives of the characters rather than just being a part of this crew on the Rossi. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, we have the storyline. And this was this was a crazy storyline. All the stuff that takes place on Io with the kids Mm -hmm. 
uh, and their autoimmune disease and how they're yeah. now like perfect candidates to be turned into hybrids, but a more controllable form of them. Yeah. And that's where, of course, uh, Prax's daughter, May, is and mm -hmm. their trusted physician, Dr. Strickland, who <laughs> I loved to hate as well. He was a creep. He is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, when a kid leaves the room and his face goes from like, oh, super kid friendly mm -hmm. bedside manner doctor to like mad scientist oh. mode. <laughs> yeah, it was like at all costs for him. Yeah, yeah. And we get Jules Pierre Mao showing up uh, who gets mm -hmm. close to May, which yeah. throws a wrench into the kind of whole idea of it because all of a sudden he's like, he starts seeing May as Julie, I think. Mm -hmm. And the protomolecule already took his biological daughter from him. And now he's going to watch this girl who he's kind of bonding with potentially become a hybrid. Well, it was almost like he had a, he had a moment where he was like, stop this. This mm -hmm. isn't right. And then um, when I can just pick, I remember the scene when they went in to check on, I can't remember. Do you remember the boy's name? Uh, Katoa, 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 Katoa. When they go to check on Katoa, mm -hmm. and May was like, "I need to see Katoa," mm -hmm. and they go in, and he had like dismembered oh. a doctor or a scientist. He took a and nurse apart. <laughs> yeah, like oh. he he took her apart, and then Jules Pierre Mal was like, "No, you were right to continue this. This is our connection," mm -hmm. and he was fully prepared to put may in that same yeah. situation as soon as he and saw that katoa was still connected to the rest of the proto molecule and they were communicating mm -hmm. back and forth he was like oh my god we have we have a way to communicate with them it's just interesting to see because he had like that one moment where he may have made the right decision mm -hmm. and then he just went full back into almost evil jules pierre mao mode yeah. and was i mean i the whole fact that they were kids, first of all, but then at what cost for, you know, the purpose of science? Yeah. Essentially, to figure out, figure it out, control it, and then use it as a weapon. Does, there's there's a lot of, like, morality oh, gray God, area yeah. there. So much. And it's interesting yeah. to see the proto-molecule, their behavior, because mm -hmm. that disassembly is something that we see kind of throughout things yeah because not only does uh katoa do that to the nurse on the floor but that's also what they do to that ship on venus mm -hmm. as it's getting close to the surface where we should say just in case people don't know although i'm assuming they watched if they're listening to like spoilers uh mm -hmm. which is where eros had crashed yeah with miller and julie and all that well it kind of became it like a little hub almost mm. on the planet where it was just like they were investigating it and they, they were researching it and they tried to get close. I think Mars was going in and then it was a UN, it was a UN research mm -hmm. vessel, I think was like, I'm going in too. We got to get there before Mars does. Yep. And then the ships just got and the people <laughs> I'm assuming got taken apart. Yeah. And I think that's how the proto molecule learns. It just, it dissects yeah. everything yep. and then it rebuilds. I, in my head, the way I look at it is like a better version of mm -hmm. that. Like, it learns what technology the humans have, mm -hmm. and then it adapts it with, I mean, the proto-molecule is powerful enough, but now that it has all that technology, too, it, I think it makes it a lot scarier. Yeah, because that's how they make, like, that almost vessel, 
that eventually launches mm-hmm. off of Venus. It's probably yep. how they make the hybrids. They disassemble mm-hmm. and they reassemble something. Like the hybrids would look different if the protomolecule was sent over to another species, probably. Because yeah. they look humanoid because we're humanoid and they disassembled us to figure out how to kind of build that form. It's just something where seeing like the, the graphics on the show, too, when they, they tear the ship mm-hmm. apart was one of the coolest scenes. And it was just it's not what you expect. Like in my head, I was like, they're going to get to the planet and they're going to see the giant ball of protomolecule yeah. there. But instead, it just annihilates the ship. And I just never expected the I thought the protomolecule was destroyed. Yeah. And then it just, I didn't expect it to come back in such full force. Mm -hmm. And now it has more information. Yeah. That I don't foresee how you can coexist with it because it seems like it wants to take over everything. It does. However, the ring changes things. Yeah. Quite a bit. That's like the first, Mm -hmm. the first time we've seen it not be like almost a virus that just infects. Now it's actually serving a purpose that we're trying to figure out. And it's just, it was interesting to see with the protomolecule that it's trying to almost protect itself Mm -hmm. versus destroy everything. Yeah. And while they're, I don't know, this, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but with the slingshotter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, when the slingshotter was trying to get through the ring, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to win this girl over. I'm going to go super fast. Yeah. And his body just explodes. I I just remember watching the whole episode like, oh, like he's going to go through the ring. It's going to change the storyline. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect his body to just explode. Yeah, the fact that it just but... stopped short was the most shocking thing. <laughs> and I, I, I think that episode ended and I was just like my mouth was like open. And it just because like they introduced that character and I was like, who's this guy? And then it just accelerated the whole storyline with the ring and how with Miller showing back up kind of saying, hey, don't go so fast. Mm -hmm. You can explore this more and see what it's about without it defending itself. Mm. Is that is that social commentary right there? Like we're getting technology (gasps) so fast and so (gasps) frequently. Do mm-hmm. we need to slow down and like examine it a little more before we just like consume, consume all the technology? I kind of love that parallel because I do feel like this day and age, we're just all going, going, going. Mm. You're always connected to something and just maybe if we all went a little bit slower. Maybe stuff wouldn't be so, I don't know, toxic or aggressive anxiety or, ridden. or anxiety ridden. <laughs> so I could, yeah, that could parallel with that. I could see that. Uh, I'm trying to see what we haven't talked about here because, yeah, we've been jumping all over the place. One of the things that I found really interesting is, and I noticed this in season two as well, they seem to be taking a different story structure than a lot of shows I've watched because they don't always do what you would feel to be a season finale as the season finale. It seems to happen in the middle of a season Mm -hmm. before they kind of start over again. So in season two... It's like episode five or six where Miller and Julie crash into Venus and then like episode seven or eight or something. It's like, okay, there's a little bit not a not a time jump, but that part of the story is over. Now we're starting this new thing and Mm -hmm. then they do the same thing in here. So episode six is where we get all the stuff with 
uh, Io, the kids being rescued there, where we get like Strickland being killed, where we get the pods being fired up and mm-hmm. the protomolecule ship launches off of Venus. And then when you get into episode seven, it's like a new season has started 187 yeah. days later. Like yeah. we're trying to figure out where characters are now. And it's like that's that's end of a season, beginning of season stuff. But they constantly do it in the middle of seasons, which is really interesting. Yeah, because I got sick for a really long time and then I I missed three episodes. And so then I watched them and I started with the documentary episode mm. and I, I had to like rejog my memory a little bit. I think it was a really creative way to do the time jump because it explained the format explained like this is what happened in the last bit. There's the ring and now we're on the Rossi Mm -hmm. and like, you know, Naomi went back to help the Belters and it was, I think an easy way to present it to the audience. But I thought the documentary portion was really interesting. And I'm curious if that part's in the books. Mm. Like I was, when I was watching the show and I haven't read the books, but I I thought I really want to read them now. And I want to see if the documentary portion is actually a part of that or if that was just a style choice that the creators of the show did. Mm, I mean, it's interesting for presentation purposes. It gives us a little bit of a peeping Tom view of some things they might have mm-hmm. showed us anyway. It is they probably gave us the only credible reason we can think of for them to allow that to happen on their ship is that they were going to have her employees were going to pay for the legal fees that they needed to keep the yeah. Rossi because that's still mm-hmm. not technically their ship. They stole yeah. it. Well, like, the other thing is we learned more about Amos, mm-hmm. maybe, depending on if the the research the documentary crew oh, had Oh, yeah, what the hell is accurate. his past? Jesus. I know. I When that was like, wait, I was like, wait. Mob boss. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I was like, he was a mob boss? And so I'm I'm curious to see where they, they maybe if they, I kind of want them to bring that up again. I want to know more about that. But, yeah. um, and just the ways they tried to manipulate Amos, too, I thought was... They didn't do that with any other character. Now that I'm thinking back, it was only Amos. It was pretty much, yeah, Amos. I mean, they they tried. They they were watching some things they necessarily maybe shouldn't have been. Like, they watched Alex and his message with his wife, like a follow-up message or something. That's true. So they were like these little moments. She did try to manipulate Holden a little bit, too, Mm -hmm. or try to get him to react Mm -hmm. based on things that they shouldn't have been recording. But... Yeah, the whole documentary style was really interesting to me, just because it was so different than how the show is normally shot. Yeah. But I think it comes to play later on also. Yeah. And I, it made more sense. Like, that's like most seasons where I'm like, oh, okay, now I see why they did that. Like, as each episode. I thought it was funny the story when they is over. threw him out of the ship. Like, oh, I know. They, they just put the suits on him and sent him out and be like, we don't have comms. And of, of course, Amos, like, well, we don't have comms mm-hmm. right now, so we're just going to send them out i'm just gonna send like, you so out. deadpan well, <laughs> like of course we would well, why wouldn't we and he said he was being nice which i thought was real or being gentle yeah. i think he said and i i thought that was really funny because i mean uh the the cameraman was the one who screwed up the comms yep. and he said like, he didn't he know something. how and he said like he couldn't rem- i mean i guess maybe he couldn't remember which slot he put it in but he didn't know what it was yeah. before he put it in there. Like it was almost. I mean, so did Ju- was it Julie Mouse's sister, mm-hmm. Clarissa? Mm-hmm. Was it something she gave him? 
I don't so that think she they, could send that. It must have been. Yeah, because they said she was. Maybe they didn't tie that all. together. Yeah, because she was the one who had the message from Holden. Yeah, my right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she's the one okay. that sent out the fake Holden message. Yeah. Um, does that mean that the money? I know their assets were frozen, but. Mm-hmm. Being a part of the Mao family, does she have enough money to be the one who is going to hire the documentary crew in the first place? That's, and that's the front for getting the sabotage on the Rossi done. And also maybe getting point. dirt on Holden at the same time. Yeah, because she was already impersonating as Melba. Yep. Melba. Why would you, know, you choose that? <laughs> yeah, Melba of all names. But yeah, like her whole dynamic... Well, first of all, she looks so much like Julie Julie Mao, and then she's trying to win the love of her father. Mm-hmm. And when they did the flashback scene with Julie oh, yeah. and Jules Pierre Mao, I was like, he's just he just came across as so cruel to her. Mm-hmm. And I just and she's still trying while he's in prison to do what Julie couldn't and yeah, even though Julie was so crass to mm-hmm. her father, he still respected her and then was just like to Clarissa, like, oh, and you just throw parties. Like, she has passion. Yeah. She's going to go somewhere, even if she's defiant, mm-hmm. but you just sit at home and throw parties. And it was so dismissive <sighs> and shitty. And I will say, like, when she beat up that that engineer guy. Oh, God. Oh, well, OK, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the eye flutter, like the eye yes, flutter thing okay, that she yep. would do. So at first I was like, is she, does she have the proto molecule? That's what I thought. It looked like she had a her? blue glow in her mouth. I thought, okay, see, I thought I was maybe amount, like imagining that and maybe there'll be more answers like at the end of this mm-hmm. season. But like, I, I, for, I'm like, how does she have that strength? Like she passed out afterwards. There's just like, I had a, like, I, I don't understand her superhuman mm. fighting abilities. Yeah, yeah. And so in my head, I was like, oh, does she have the protomolecule also in her? But the protomolecule just takes over people. Right. So would she be able to stop something like that to only go so far? That was my first thought as well, because it looked like at least the first time I didn't notice it as much every other time she did it. But the first yeah. time and maybe it was just the lighting in the scene, it did look like she had a blue glow in her mouth. And I thought I saw mm-hmm. a little bit like around her neck and stuff. I agree, but I wonder if it's because the bomb was blue. Maybe. But I also thought the same thing. And then the next time when she did it, there was no blue. No, and then later on you see like on a screen that she has like an endocrine enhancer or something that she's activating so maybe, from within her jaw, which is why it keeps yeah. focusing there. And then they're like, oh, no, we're chemically restraining that or we have a, mm-hmm. some sort of thing on. And that was just something I noticed was her like the her ability to beat people up yeah. <laughs> like bad. And pick that guy up and hit his head into a wall and then swish him into the little vent. I could have used uh, another line or two of exposition to explain that. Yeah. And that makes me wonder with how the show usually goes is like, now that Clarissa's on the Rossi, Mm -hmm. there's got to be some, there's got to be some sort of explanation. There's got to be. But I guess we'll see. I'm trying to think of what I've seen. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have watched early either. <laughs> oh, do you have answers? Not, no, not not for everything. Not for everything. So yeah. uh, for those who don't know, um, we were given uh, the first half of the two-parter for the season finale early. So I've seen episode 12, but not episode 13. 
So I have one episode I can't talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't watch it on purpose just so that I didn't put yourself in my situation. Acci- yeah. Didn't accidentally say something I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just steer clear of anything <laughs> too close to all that stuff. <laughs> Let's see. What else do we have here? So we talked about the documentary. Uh, there's the remnants of the proto molecule that were left behind. We talked about that coming back around. Uh, the Rossi. Oh, okay. So the Rossi was the first one. We can talk about the ring and stuff now. So we had the slingshotter that got stopped. Mm -hmm. The Rossi decides to be the one that goes through kind of first because Miller shows up to Holden only. We don't know why Holden only still, like, even if it's the proto molecule that's on Mm -hmm. their ship, that's creating the conduit of communication between the ring and the Rossi. We don't know why Holden more than the others, or maybe he's just more receptive. Maybe he was closer to Miller, or maybe he's just the yeah. main character. Oh, well, now, maybe because he's the main <laughs> character. Well, one thing I was just thinking is Holden and Miller were on Arrows together, mm. and they were in all of that. They had the radiation, and, and maybe there was just some sort of bond between them. Maybe. From that? Maybe. Or... The one thing I did notice is when Bobby tried to say, Holden, what are you doing? Stop uh, outside of the ship. I I feel like they could hear Miller occasionally. Yes. Yes. I feel like in like one moment or two, Miller's voice was heard by all. And that's why I was like, oh, well, maybe because obviously Miller's glitchy. Mm -hmm. Like he looks almost like a computer program. But then when they're inside the ring, he's more clear. It's almost... Like they're choosing maybe that Holden's the one that gets to see mm-hmm. him, but maybe with technology there, it, it doesn't know how to filter that out fully yet. Mm, maybe. Because I, I'm pretty sure Bobby on any, and on Marsh, that Martian vessel, well, <laughs> the Martian vessel yep. could hear Miller for a couple words. Yeah. It, it felt like that. I'm also curious too. It was interesting to hear the explanation when Holden was kind of coming down the chute into the core. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's like, well, what what are you? Are you Miller? Are you the proto molecule? Are you project like what what is going on here? And the explanation that he gives is so like strange and weird. But yeah. so I am curious. OK, so how much of it is Miller and how much of it is the proto molecule? Is the proto molecule using Miller's form because it's something Holden's familiar with, or is it Miller reaching out on kind of his own? And the proto molecule, yeah. like just like Julie ended up controlling Eros, now that Miller's consciousness is in there too, does he have some control over what it's doing now that he's a part of that? I was wondering too, because one of the things with that that was interesting is. I think at one point it said, as soon as I start to become more self-aware, it terminates the program, Mm. something along those lines. And so I wonder if Miller and Julie are still in there and maybe it's one of the ways. I think the proto-molecule was reaching out to Holden with Miller because it's like, this is something you're familiar Mm -hmm. with. But maybe when it does that, part of Miller is in there. It runs the risk. And he becomes, yeah, and it becomes more self-aware interesting. and maybe tries to break from yeah. it because I was also wondering that I'm like, is it Miller or is it just like an apparition of Miller? Mm. 
And, but then every other person that say the proto molecule has killed or destroyed or blown apart, wouldn't that person's consciousness also be in there? Or was it because Julie and Miller were connected somehow and she was more of a part of the proto molecule that it's only them? Also a possibility. These are my theories. Yeah. I mean, any, (laughs) any of those could be plausible too. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what Miller is, but it's interesting that I think they would go with Miller, the proto molecule, because it's something that Holden trusts, mm-hmm. someone that Holden trusts. Yeah. And maybe it's playing a game versus it actually being Miller. That makes sense to me. But it could also be Miller. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. So many questions. Uh, I, know. <laughs> I like, I love the idea of the behemoth, uh, the fact that it's the repurposed yeah. Mormon ship. The only thing mm-hmm. that concerned me with it is if, so they have the largest ship like in human history, the behemoth. Mm-hmm. How many people are on that freaking ship? And if that's the biggest and only warship you have, are you really going to risk the population? That is on that ship going through the ring. Like, I know they want to be included, but that's a tremendous risk. It is interesting because it was almost like the belters have to be a part of this, too. And that's why they went through. But (laughs) I mean, in the end, it it worked out because they could they. Oh, my gosh. What was it called? Uh, Spin the spin the drum. Spin the drum, Spin the like drums. when, so they were able to help heal people yep. who got really hurt when the proto molecule decided everyone's going too fast mm. again, and they, the people can heal then in one G versus zero G, yep. and I also wonder, like that's a huge risk because that was going to be the Belter ship to help sustain them, mm-hmm. and going into the ring is such a huge risk to not only the crew aboard that but also the whole belter community and the fact that it's a modified warship yeah like it's not meant to be no it's supposed to be like a civilization (laughs) ship like to sustain the mormons for a hundred years yeah and now it's been repurposed and obviously it hasn't it was never finished right like the ship was never fully constructed so like there's just a lot of risks there and i i don't know if it's just they wanted to be a part of history, which I think is what yeah. it was. They wanted the Belters to be a part they of it. They want to be equals with the Inners. Yeah. And I think maybe it was a more it was more of a stand for that than maybe it outweighed the risk of not doing something like that. Yeah. I like the idea that the Belters are I mean, clearly they have a long way to go. But they do feel a little bit like Mars and Earth are the parents, and they're the little kid running behind, like, wait for me, wait for me. Yeah. It does feel like well, that. Well, that's that's why I thought it was cool that Naomi had sent the protomolecule to Fred mm-hmm. Johnson. Like, I know the whole Rossi crew was mad, but I was like, no, it makes sense. Like, it gives them a fighting And those chance. are her people, so. Yeah. And it's something where the Belters, I think because of how Mars and the UN are like powerhouses- the belt doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have the resources. So they've been given the short end of the stick. And now they're trying to make a name for themselves and prove themselves as equal. Mm-hmm. So 
if we jump to like episode 11, which is the last one we can talk about before before Wednesday's episode (laughs) uh, and for people listening to this tonight's episodes and make sure you watch the two parter, uh, the speed limit has dropped inside of the bubble, I guess they call it, that the ring goes into. So now after that grenade was thrown as a matter of self-defense, it drops the speed limit. And again, when they're saying like a third of each ship is like casualties, I'm thinking immediately of the behemoth and -hmm. how many more casualties they must have had on that ship compared to the others, which is crazy. It was interesting because I I wonder how many people are on the behemoth. I do wonder that too. Or if it's just a skeleton, like if it's a skeleton crew for the time being. But I'm surprised that, well, with Drummer... She got pinned, mm-hmm. and that w- that whole thing was really interested- interesting because it seems like by the end of what was the OPA was the captain's name? name. Yeah. yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can never remember his name either, but he was pinned on the other he, side. He was pinned on the other side, and be- they they had been butting heads mm-hmm. since he arrived. And they were she was she like called him out on oh I see what you're yeah. doing. This is your way of taking over without taking over it was interesting to see that with them both being pinned because somebody had to make sacrifice Mm -hmm. and the way that she put herself out there in a in a way to these words are not coming easy to me (laughs) (laughs) she essentially put aside her differences with mm-hmm. him and they worked together to try to release both yes. of them. And when that didn't work, she said, you know what? I'm going to make a sacrifice. So at least one of us gets out yeah. of here. And she felt that he was equipped to run the behemoth without her. I was thankful she didn't like totally die. And I'm hoping that since they got the drum spinning, right. that she, cause I really like her yeah, character, yeah. <laughs> like that she will recover and maybe that whole relationship will be different going forward now she's been she's been very interesting the entire Mm -hmm. time she's got a bit of she's got quite an edge to her but you never fully know where her loyalties lie yeah like i feel like she's doing she airs on the side of good for the most part but also is just extremely loyal to the belt above like all else I did think it was really interesting when she let Naomi leave, yes. though, to go back to the Rossi. Because in my head, I was like, oh, she's not going to let her leave. And then when she did give permission, it was, it was, I don't know, it showed to me that there's a different side of her besides just, you know, the belt. Mm-hmm. Like, there's other things out there. There's other people and that that's okay, too. And uh, the last thing we get at the end of episode 11 is Holden on board the MCRN dropship. He wakes up and tells Bobby that he saw a vision of the end of everything. That vision, though. <laughs> the sun turning <laughs> that blue. That got intense. Yeah. I, at first I was like, oh, what, like I, you never know what you're looking at with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But then at the end, the proto-molecule takes over the sun and that would literally destroy everything. Yeah. And in my head, that makes me wonder if the proto-molecule is just trying to explore and learn, but it doesn't know that it's hurting people. It's just behaving animalistically, or like yeah. a virus. Yeah. Or 
if it's purposely doing it. So it's just, I'm interested to see what they do with the information now that Holden has it. But that vision, though, at the when the sun turns blue, I was like, oh, that means everybody's going to yeah. die. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's going to die. So I I don't know. Like, that's why the protomolecule does seem like it's almost an animal. But it. But at the same maybe time, it knows what it's doing. It's very intelligent. And like the fact that it constructs a ring makes me feel like mm-hmm. it has more purpose than just blind animalism. Yeah. And maybe maybe it'll learn. Like I the thing I compare it to is like. Lilu in the fifth element. Oh, yeah. Like she just learns everything. So maybe if she learns or it, the proto molecule learns more. Maybe. It'll be like, oh, I won't blow up the sun because it can kill you all. <laughs> right. Like I didn't know and that. It just was a doesn't know any better. Right. So that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing that I want to touch on, and it goes back to that moment with Amos and Prax because God, I love that moment. But one yeah. of my favorite parts too of everything was the follow up to that mm-hmm. where. Where Prax has the gun pointed at Strickland yeah. and he's ready to put him down and Amos steps in and he says, mm-hmm. you're not that guy. Yeah. And then as soon as Prax left and the door closes, it's almost like it's not a hero shot, but it's like a oh shit shot. Like, yeah, Amos turns around and this like the writing is so good because. Mm-hmm. I said it as he was saying it with him. I knew <laughs> I knew it was the next line coming. Yeah. And when he said, I am that guy, I was like, yeah, like it felt so good. It felt so good. That makes me wonder more about the mob boss thing. Yes, it does. (laughs) But the fact is, the thing that's weird about that moment is that it, Amos did it from a place of caring, Mm -hmm. like to alleviate Prax from caring that mentally for the rest of his Mm -hmm. life, even though he wanted to do that so badly. And then Amos took care of it yeah. so that Prax could still have that mental alleviation, but he didn't have to execute it. And I think that's part of the whole dynamic between them that works so well. He, Dr. Strickland needed to be put down. He did. He, did. <laughs> like, he was a mad scientist. I mean, and the fact that Amos went in there and was like, it's not you, but then he did it. Mm-hmm. I think it was a satisfying moment because Strickland was s- such a bad guy. Yeah. And we knew it had to be done, but we yeah. also didn't want Prax to pull the trigger. I didn't want Prax. Yeah, I was like, Prax, don't do it. Yeah. And then I, I, to be honest, I was like, oh, Amos is stopping him. But then I was like, oh, Amos is going to. As soon Amos as the door closed, do I was like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a satisfying moment just because it was like it's heartfelt, even though like something horrible happened mm-hmm. because Strickland got shot in the face. Yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> It came from such a place of loving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's his weird, twisted sense of empathy. Even though he doesn't mm-hmm. always relate to people, he knew, he understood what it would do to somebody else because that's probably where he's at. He's yeah. probably been through so much of that that he's the way he is. And he's like, no, Prax can't be like me. Yeah. Still the best friend thing just gets me. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. As we start to wrap up, anything else that you want to say about the show before we do? The only thing, and I'm curious, maybe it's just me. But I picked up some vibes between Alex and Bobby. I'm wondering if they're going to, you know. I, I see a little bit of that, too. Okay, it's, a, I wasn't... it's a little bit the Martian connection. Yeah. But it's there's something else could there, be more. too. That was just something I noticed. Yeah. But besides that, I just love the show and everybody should watch it. <laughs> it is great. It is great. Yeah. I concur. Also, what can we plug for you personally? 
for me, yeah. I stream video games on Twitch, <laughs> which is uh, Twitch TV slash Katie Peters Plays. And I hang out on the internet a lot on like Twitter and stuff yeah. as Play Katie Play. But that's about it. <laughs> All right. Well, make sure go check out Katie. Make sure you're watching The Expanse. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again to both Cass Anvar and Katie Peters for joining me. You can see everything else that we do at thegeekgeneration.com. If you use iTunes, please rate the show and write a review. We always appreciate those. You can watch our live events at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. And you can follow my personal Twitch account at twitch.tv slash therobblogan. You can send emails with your feedback and questions to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. We'll be back soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we will see you then. Later. Make it so.